another assignment. some church people I wanted to do that way sometime. <laughs> you know what I like about, there's two things I like about Sylvester Stallone. They both start with the letter R. Can you guess what they are? Rambo and Rocky. Don't you like Rambo and Rocky? I mean, I love Rambo and Rocky. And I guess, you know, the reason why he is so great in both of those characters is you don't have to say a lot. But um, we just heard Rambo say two of the greatest words that he ever said, mission accomplished. Those are great words, mission accomplished. You know, there's nothing in life that's more satisfying than finishing a job, than, 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 than sat, you know, finishing something that was difficult and very hard to do. You, you know that if, if you finish college or if you've um, climbed a mountain, or if you've raised children to maturity, or if you finished boot camp in the military, you know what it's like to finish something. In fact, I'll tell you about a day that, you know, there's certain days in your life you never forget. This is a day I'll never, ever forget. It was a, it was a, a morning in May. I was in a small house in a little rural community called Buck Grove, Kentucky. And um, for three years, my life had been wrapped around this document called a dissertation. For three years, I'd been living and eating and breathing and sleeping with and thinking about and, and, and collecting material and researching and studying, trying to gather all this stuff on this thesis, on this dissertation. Now, just imagine spending three years of your life reading hundreds of books in English and in French and in German. I mean, every day I'd go to bed or get up thinking about this dissertation. Every uh, night, I'd go to bed thinking about this dissertation. I didn't go a day for three years that I didn't think about getting this dissertation finished. I mean, never a day passed. And remember now, this was back before computers and the internet and email and Word documents. I mean, let me tell you how I did my dissertation. I'd been collecting all of my research on five-by-eight note cards. I mean, I'd, I'd read something, I'd write it down, read something, write it down. And I had boxes literally filled with hundreds and hundreds of all this research on five-by-eight note cards. Now, before you think I'm older than dirt, I did drive a car. I didn't drive a horse and buggy, okay? But this was back before all these modern things that we have now that make writing so much easier. Well, it was about midnight on this May morning, in fact, it was about six, about, if I remember, about five minutes after midnight, and Teresa had already gone to bed, and, 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 and James was asleep in, 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 his, in his crib, and I was sitting there and, and, and uh, writing this dissertation, and I was just worn out. I just said, I, I can't write another word. And so I, I had the pen in my hand. I wrote out all my stuff on legal pads, and so I put my pen down on that legal pad that I'd been writing on, and just as I put my pen down, I, I noticed something. I noticed that what had started out way at the beginning of the dissertation being hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of note cards, I noticed it, 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 it just shrunk and shrunk and shriveled and shriveled. I started counting. I only had 25 note cards left. And I want to tell you, I got, you know, th this thought hit me. I am almost finished. I mean, after three years of doing this 
every single day at three after three years, I finally could see this light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't a train coming at me. I realized I'm just about done. And all of a sudden, I went from being exhausted and just wanting to go to bed. All of a sudden, my, my eyes were wide open. My, my, my heart was pounding. My blood was racing. I began to write as fast and as furiously as I have ever written in my life. And four hours later at four o'clock in the morning, I can remember it like it happened yesterday. I threw my pen down. I pushed back from the desk. I raised my hands to heaven. I looked up to the Lord and I said a word that was music to my ears. Finished. Finished. Now, when I said that word, it didn't change the world. It didn't make the news. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it didn't change anything for anybody except me. As a matter of fact, you know, if I'd never finished that dissertation, if I'd never said that word, nobody would have ever noticed. Nobody would have ever paid attention. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus said something in one word in Greek, three words in English, and it changed everything. And it, that one word has the potential to change everybody. That one word changed my life forever. That one word changed my dad's life forever. That one word can change your life forever. I want to show you that word. If you have your Bibles or you want to look on your uh, iPad or smartphone, whatever you might want to use, I want you to turn to a gospel called John. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're in a series that we're calling the bucket list. There are some things that we all want to do before we die. If I, if I were to come to any of you right now and I were to say, hey, if you knew you were going to die in the next year, you have a bucket list. Most of you do. You may not have it written down, but you'd say, well, yeah, I, there are some things I'd like to do in the next year. There are things I'd like to see in the next year. There are some things I'd like to accomplish in the next year. Well, whether you write them down or not, they're all on our bucket list. We all have them. Now, there's a difference between the things that you would like to do before you die and the things that you better do before you die. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been sharing with you not the things you may want to do or like to do, but the things that you better do. As a matter of fact, what we've said is, if you don't do these things, you're not ready to die. And I didn't make them up. I didn't come up with them out of my, you know, just, I didn't find them on a website. I didn't just pick them out of thin air. I actually got these right from Jesus because there are seven things that Jesus said in the last six hours of his life, and I realized they were his bucket list. There were seven things that Jesus said, I'm gonna check off seven more things before I die. I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to leave this world until these, three, these seven things are done. And I wanna say to all of us again, you are not ready to die. Six out of seven won't cut it. Five out of seven won't cut it. There are seven things you better make sure you accomplish before you die. And one of the things that he, that he did and he, that he made sure he did, we better make sure we do, he was able to say, we better be able to say before we die, two words, mission accomplished. Now, Jesus has been hanging on this cross for six hours. They crucified him at nine o'clock. It's now almost three o'clock in the afternoon. And for six hours, he's been the victim. He's been the victim of the sins of the entire world. So kind of put it this way. 
For six hours, Jesus has been climbing the Mount Everest of sin. Jesus has been climbing this mountain of every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed. And Jesus has finally reached the top of that mountain. And Jesus has now planted the, a flag of forgiveness in the shape of a cross on that mountain. And in the final seconds of his life, he says one word, three words in English, one word in Greek. We'll read it in English. It's in John 19, 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. One word in Greek, three words in English. It is finished. For six hours, he had been worked over, but now his work is over. Now his mission is accomplished. And in those words at that moment, Jesus shares with us, with us some things that we need to make sure that we have finished before we are finished. There are some things you better make sure you finish in life before you're finished with life. And as you go back and read what Jesus said he had to finish, it was amazing to me how I thought, you know what? That's exactly what I want to make sure I finish. And they better be the things you better make sure you finish before you leave this planet. Let me share them with you this morning. Number one, finish your walk with God. That's the first thing you better make sure you finish before you leave this planet. You finish your walk with God. Now, the truth of the matter is this. If we were to die today, this is true of everybody in this room, including me, if we were to die today, every one of us would die with some unfinished business. If the world ended today, as a matter of fact, you would see unfinished business everywhere if the world were to come to an end right now. Several years ago, I was doing a men's conference up in, uh, in the Dakotas, and uh, I happened to be able to go see uh, Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. And, and one of the things I learned about this, this portrait was this. It was really fascinating. One of the things I learned was the sculptor who did this was a man by the name of Gutzon Borglum. Well, here's something I never knew. You know, we all seen that, or maybe you've not, maybe not seen. If you ever get a chance to go, you really ought to go. It's one of the most magnificent things you've ever seen. But what you would not know just looking at, those, at that rock and, and that sculptor was this. Mr. Borglum never finished his work. You say, well, it, it, it looks finished. No, it really isn't. You know why? His original goal was to do this all the way down to their chest. He died at the neck. He never got there. He wanted to go to the chest, but he died at the neck. Now, there are millions of tourists that go and see this, this, this place every single year, and they never realize they're looking at an unfinished work of art. They're looking at unfinished business. Let me ask you a question. What would you leave unfinished today? If you were to die right now, what would you leave unfinished? A book half read? A letter half written? A bill not paid? Promises not kept? I mean, one day we're all going to leave this world with books we meant to read and places we wanted to see and things we intended to do, but there's only one person in history who died having left behind no unfinished business, and that is Jesus. You think about this. From the time he was born to the time that he died, he followed this path. He walked with God, and he followed this path that God laid out for him to walk, and he walked it to the last step of his journey. Now, guess what? God's got a path for you. From the time you were born to the time you draw your last breath, God says, okay, there's a path I've laid out for you, and there's a path I want you to walk. I want you to walk it for me. I want you to walk it with me, and I want you to walk it to me. Now, you say, well, 
What is that path? It's the same path for all of us. In fact, God even tells us what that path is. You may have forgotten, but in, in the 23rd Psalm, you remember this verse? He leads me in where? Paths of what? Righteousness for his name's sake. God has laid out a path for us to walk. When you get behind God and you say, God, where are you going to take me? Where is my life supposed to go? Where am I supposed to walk? You know what God says? God says, I've got one path. Everybody walk, everybody walk in the same path. It is the path of righteousness. And God wants us to stay on that path until the path runs out. Now, let me be honest. That path will lead you to different places. We all want it to lead to success. But sometimes it will lead to sacrifice. Sometimes it will lead to suffering. As a matter of fact, you go back and you look at the path that Jesus walked. Have you, has it ever occurred to you his path was paved with suffering? All kinds of suffering. I mean, there was the social suffering of being rejected by his own family and his own people. There was the physical suffering of crucifixion, which is the cruelest form of dying in the entire world. There was the spiritual suffering of bearing the world's sins and being totally separated from his, from his heavenly father. So whether the path was smooth or rocky, whether it was uphill or downhill, whether it was easy or hard, Jesus finished his walk with God on the path of righteousness. See, Jesus always walked in the right direction. He always walked to the right places. He always walked in the right way. He always walked with the right heart. Now, let me just be honest. I don't care how long you live. I don't care how long I live. We're all going to die with unfinished business. Nobody in this room is going to die with every book you wanted to read, read. And every place you wanted to go, visited. And everything you wanted to do, done. I know there are a lot of things I won't ever finish. But I'll tell you this. There are some things I want to make sure I finish before I die. I'll tell you. I want to finish a faithful marriage. I've been married to Teresa for over 41 years. I've been faithful to my wife every single day for 41 years. I want to die that way. I want to die with a faithful marriage. I want to die being able to say to my wife on my deathbed, if that's the way I die, I have always been faithful to you. I want to finish a fruitful ministry. I won't always be the pastor of this church. I know that. You know that. But whether I'm the pastor of this church or not, I will always be involved in ministry. I want to finish a fulfilled mission. No, I'm not going to accomplish everything I want to accomplish. I'm not going to do everything I set out to do, but that doesn't matter. What I want to make sure is that I believe in my heart I've accomplished everything that God wanted me to accomplish, and I finish my walk with God. We're walking with God. I hope you're walking with God, and I'm just simply saying to you, I hope you'll make a renewed commitment right now as you're listening to me. You know what, Pastor? I'm with you. As long as I've got breath in me till the day I die, I want to finish my walk with God. I've got something written in the back of my Bible, and it says this. With my last breath, I want to be faithful to Jesus. With my last breath, I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to finish my walk with God. Now, I didn't have this in my notes. I just feel led to do it. How many of you right now would make a promise to God, God, with your help and with your strength, I'm going to finish my walk with you. Hold your hand up right now. If you really mean that. All right, you made a commitment right now. Lord, would I live a long time or a short time? I'm going to finish my walk with you. That's what Jesus did. Here's the second thing we ought to finish. We ought to finish the will of God. 
not just finish our walk with God, we ought to finish the will of God. Now, go back to what Jesus said. Jesus said, it is finished. But have you ever thought about a question you ought to be asking? What is it? I mean, he didn't specify it. He just said, it is finished. That's what the word, that's what that one word means in Greek. It means it is finished. Well, what is it? What exactly did Jesus finish on the cross? Well, in two different places, he tells us. In John chapter 4, verse 34, listen to what he said here. Jesus, in fact, this is kind of interesting. Jesus said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. By the way, the word finish is exactly the same word that he used on the cross. Jesus said, you know what my food is? You know what I love to eat every day of my life? My food, the one thing I've got on my plate is to do the will of God. That's all I've got on my plate is to do the will of God. I got to thinking about this. In fact, I called Jonathan the other day just to make sure I got the story straight. My, my dad was, uh, was, was kind of an old-fashioned guy. I've told you, some of you knew my dad. And um, my dad had a simple rule growing up. He had, didn't have many, but they were pretty, if, he, if dad had a rule, it was the law of the Medes and the Persians. If you broke it, it was a felony, not a misdemeanor. So God had a few rules. And one of dad's rules was very, very simple. It, it applied to me and my brothers, and it applied to his grandchildren. You clean your plate. I mean, you clean your plate. And so when we would go to a restaurant and eat, this was my dad's order, and everybody knew it, right? You ready? You order it, you, yeah, you order it. You, some of you know the rule, right? You order it, you eat it. So we were raised to clean our plate, when, whether we ate at home or whether we ate out. It didn't matter. So when you were at home and mom fixed you and you got your plate, you ate what was on your plate. If you went to a restaurant, you ordered it, and dad paid for it, you were going to eat what was on your plate. Well, Jonathan, my middle son, had to learn that the hard way. Here's the true story. That where I used to pastor, there was a huddle house right across the street. And they loved huddle houses. So one day they were eating at a huddle house. Jonathan was just a little boy, just a little fellow. And uh, Jonathan ordered, and, and he ordered this gigantic omelet, uh, this, this egg omelet. I mean, it had everything. It had bacon and sausage and eggs and cheese and all that stuff. Well, Jonathan's eating this omelet. And so he was about a third of the way through this omelet. And so he says to dad, he said, dad, uh, Papa, uh, I'd like to order, I want to order a waffle. Well, this omelet is huge. Now, you got to get the pen. This is a huge omelet. And so he said, I want to order a waffle. Well, my mom, bless her heart, tried to intervene. She said, no, Jonathan, you don't want to order that waffle. You, you, you won't even finish the, you won't even go to finish the omelet. Forget about the waffle. Don't order the waffle. Well, you know, if you, you guys know my son, and, 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 you know, Jonathan, you know, he just said, oh, I'll eat it. I promise you, I'm going to eat every bite of it. Well, Dad looked at Jonathan, and he just said one simple thing. Okay, son, if you order it, you're going to eat it. Oh, yeah, Pop, I'll eat it. Man, I'm hungry. I'll eat that, that waffle, Dad. Okay. Jonathan said, he got about three quarters of the way through that omelet, and he thought to himself, uh-oh. I'm in big trouble. I'm full. Jonathan told me, he said, he had no sooner thought that they put that big waffle down right in front of him. Well, let me just put it this way. It didn't work out too well. Not only did Jonathan not finish the omelet, he didn't want to look at that omelet. So dad's just sitting there. He says his arms are folded. He's watching Jonathan. And so um, 
He said, Papa, I'm, I'm, I'm full. Dad took the waffle, put it aside, looked at the, about a third of the omelet left. He said, you see what's on that plate? Yes, sir. You ordered it, you eat it. So Jonathan started eating it. And he just, all he could do was just get that, that omelet down. And then Dad took that waffle and put it in front of him. <laughs> well, Jonathan starts crying. Now, my dad's not like me. My grandkids cry, man, it's over, right? Not Dad. He's General Patton. He's going to get to the, he's getting to Germany. Okay, he's getting there, right? Those tears simply hardened the cement in dad's heart. He said, you ordered it. You're going to eat it. Well, Jonathan starts eating that waffle. Now, picture this. I mean, I thank God I wasn't there. Jonathan's eating that waffle, and he's crying, and tears are falling on the waffle. Dad just sits there and just watches it. Finally, Jonathan, mom told me this later, she couldn't help but laugh out loud. Jonathan looked at my dad and he said, Papa, you're torturing me. Now, I don't know if dad believed in waterboarding or not, but he believed if you order it, you're going to eat it. And he just looked at me and he said, if you order it, you're going to eat it. You're going to clean your plate. Jonathan cleaned his plate. It was 20 years before he ordered another waffle. Now, Jesus... Jesus had come to do the will of God, and he had just cleaned his plate. When we die, the question you better ask yourself is this. So did I live my life doing my will or God's will? Did I live my life doing what I wanted to do with my life? Or did I live my life doing what God wanted me to do with my life? Did I finish what I wanted to do, or did I finish what God wanted me to do? You know, I've told you many times before, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I don't think, you know, God was not going to condemn me if I'd gone and become a lawyer. But I'll tell you this, I know I would have missed it. One of the joys of doing what I get to do is simply this. I'm not saying I'm great at what I do. I'm not saying you couldn't have a better pastor. I'm sure there are a lot of better pastors out there. I I don't say this with any pride whatsoever. But I want to tell you, I know I'm doing the will of God for my life. I know this is what God called me to do. I know this is what God put me on this earth to do. And God's will for us is to do his will until our last will is read. Did you hear that? God's will for us is to do his will until our last will is read. Do you remember the words that Jesus said to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember what he said? He said, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but yours be Done. If you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' will was to do the Father's will, no matter how high the cost, no matter how steep the climb, no matter how hurtful the pain, no matter how great the sacrifice. There was one thing that mattered to Jesus up till he drew his last breath. I'm going to finish the will of God for my life. I'm going to do what it is that God called me to do. We know what it was. It was God's will for him to save his people from their sins by dying on the cross, and he did that. Now, let me tell you what happened. I guarantee you, there were some people at the cross, and they thought what he said was a cry of defeat. When he said it's finished, I guarantee you the Pharisees thought, yeah, you are finished. (laughs) We don't have to put up with this Galilean anymore. The Romans, yeah, they thought he was finished. They said, well, here's another pretender to Caesar's throne that we've taken care of. 
The disciples, they thought he was finished. They said, well, it was a good run while it lasted, and we sure will miss him. They were all wrong. This was not a cry of defeat. Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He didn't say, in effect, I tried, I did my best, and I failed, and there's nothing more I can do. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. In other words, I've done all that I needed to do. I have succeeded in doing the will of God in my life. Now, I want you to listen carefully. Nobody on this planet was put here to be a failure. Nobody. You were not put here to be a failure. I was never put here to be a failure. I'm not trying to sound a, you know, a prosperity theme here. I'm just telling you, God put everybody on this planet to be an absolute success. You heard me. God put everybody on this planet to be an absolute success. However, success is not defined by Hollywood. And success is not defined by Wall Street. And success is not defined by Washington, D.C. Success is defined by God. If you know what real success is, it's real simple. Here's success. It is finding and fulfilling the will of God for your life. That's success. When you find God's will and you fulfill God's will, you are successful. So when Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't mean he was finished. As a matter of fact, he was just getting started. Because when you finish your walk with God and when you finish the will of God, then you finish the work of God. You finish the work of God. Now watch, this, this is so cool to me. Just before Jesus was arrested, in John 17, Jesus prays this long prayer. It's the longest prayer he ever prayed. One of the longest prayers in the Bible. Maybe the greatest prayer in the Bible. If you ever want to know how to pray, go read how Jesus prayed in John 17. And in the middle of that prayer, Jesus said this. He says to the, to the Lord, he says to God his Father, I have brought you glory. How, how did you do that, Lord? On earth. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. By the way, same word he used on the cross. I've glorified you by finishing the work that you gave me to do. God had given Jesus a work that only Jesus could do. And Jesus did it. Only he could redeem us and pay for our sins. Only he could satisfy the wrath of God against sin. Only he could save us from our sins, and he finished the work that God gave him to do. Now, let me tell you about that Greek word. It's, it, it's, a, it's one of the most fascinating words in all the New Testament. That, that word in the Greek language it was used both in legal circles and in, in financial circles. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Legally, it was very important for this reason. When, back in that day, if you were brought before a Roman judge and you were pronounced guilty of a crime... The judge would prescribe the sentence. He would tell you what you had to do. Then he would write out a piece of paper. It was called a certificate of debt. Now, on one side of that paper, the judge would write out the crime that you'd committed. Whatever you did wrong, the judge would write that out on one side. Then on the other side, he would write down the penalty or, or, or the, the punishment that he had prescribed and that he had meted out to you. 
when you, when, when you were put into prison, that certific, certificate of debt would be nailed uh, on, on that, uh, that prison door. So anybody that wanted to could walk to a prison. They could look at that certificate of debt. They could see who you were. They could see what you did. And they could also see what your punishment was or what your term was or whatever, however long you had to be in prison or whatever you, 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 know, you had to do. So you could see who it was, what that person done and the, had done, and the penalty for the crime. Now, if, for example, let's say you, you did your time and, and you served your sentence, or if someone came and maybe they paid the fine that you owed or they did something to, you know, to take care of your problem, the legal authority would then take that same certificate that the judge had written, and over that certificate, they would stamp this one word that literally means paid in full. They would then take the certificate, they would roll it up, they would seal it, and they would give it to the prisoner. This was his proof. He was a free man. His debt had been paid. He had paid what he owed to society or somebody had paid it for him, and he was now an absolute free man. All the demands of the law had been met, and his debt had been fully paid. When Jesus said, it is finished, what he did was he took the debt of sin that you owed and the debt of sin that I owed, a debt that none of us could ever pay, and he stamped over it, paid in Full. So the debt of sin that the entire world owes to God of every sin ever committed yesterday, today, and tomorrow was paid off completely and totally at the cross. Now, this verse is also, and I don't want to get bogged down in this, but, but in Greek, Greek's different from English. Tense is a big deal of, of Greek verbs. For example, if a verb in the Greek language is present tense, it means continuous action, right? So it means like in Greek, if you say, I am going, what the Greeks wanted you to understand was, right now, I'm going. I mean, in the present moment, I'm going somewhere. Now, there's a tense called the perfect tense. This verb is in the perfect tense. It is finished. That's in the perfect tense. Let me tell you why that's so important. That talks about an action that's completed in the past but it has permanent results that last forever in the future. In other words, the, 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 perfect, the, the past tense says, this has happened. That's past tense. This happened yesterday. The perfect tense says, well, this happened yesterday, but it's still in effect today. It will be in effect tomorrow, and it will be in effect forever and ever and ever. Now, let me tell you why that's such a big deal. You think of any fault you've ever, you've got right now. Think of any shortcoming you have. Think of any sin you've ever committed. At the moment you give your life to Jesus, God stamps over all of those things paid in full. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, that means, real simple. Now, this is something, I want you to listen to this because a lot of people miss this. I don't know how they miss it, but they miss it. That means you don't have to pony up anything for your sins. You don't have anything to pay for your sins. You, you, we don't have to pay anything else, and we can't pay anything else. That one word means that salvation and forgiveness and eternal life and redemption, they are all absolutely free gifts. See, this is what people don't get. God's not trying to sell us forgiveness. God's not, not trying to sell us eternal life. God doesn't offer forgiveness at a discount. 
There's no blue light special. There's no half price sale. You can't split the cost. There's no down payment. There's no installment. There's no interest to your sins being forgiven. Salvation being offered and your soul being cleansed, Jesus said, it is finished. And since salvation is a finished work, there's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can take from it. There's nothing that you can substitute for it. Because here's what happened 2,000 years ago. When Jesus said, it is finished, the greatest life that ever lived ended with the greatest death ever died that finished the greatest work ever given. That's, that's worth clapping for. And with that one word, Jesus let us know. It's closing time. Now I can turn out the lights. Now I can shut the door. Now I can lock it down. I can shut down the business. And I can go home. Because I have finished the work God has given me to do. And here's what I want you to understand. God has given all of us work to do. And we should finish that work until he's finished with us. I don't know if you remember much about the Old Testament, Old Testament tabernacle or not. Some of you may not know what an Old Testament tabernacle is. If you don't, that's okay. It's an interesting study. You ought to go back and read about it sometime. But when God gave the people of Israel the command to build this tabernacle, he was the designer. He was the architect of it. God told them exactly how he wanted it built. We talked about this a week or so ago. He told them exactly how he wanted it built. And then he told them about all this furniture that he wanted in there. You know, he wanted the candlesticks. And he wanted the, 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 the bronze laver. And, and, and he wanted the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, you know, we could go on. He wanted all this furniture. But if you ever read about the tabernacle, you'll notice something very interesting. There's one piece of furniture missing in the tabernacle. There's no chair. Why wasn't there a chair in the tabernacle? Because no priest could ever sit down. Well, why couldn't a priest ever sit down? Priests get tired. I get tired. Well, after I preach a couple of times here and, and you know, talk to tons of people, I mean, I, I'll just be honest with you. When I get in my car out there, I don't want to talk to anybody for about three hours. I mean, I'm just, I'm done. I'm just, I'm mostly drained, right? So the good thing, you, know, you don't even know my routine. I go home, guess what Teresa does? She goes to bed and takes a nap. It's one of the most blessed things she does in our marriage. Because I just get to go and I sit in my recliner and I just, I'm just quiet. Because I get tired. Well, priests got tired. But they couldn't sit down. Well, why couldn't the priest sit down? Because the priest's work was never done. There was always another sheep to slaughter. There was always another sacrifice to offer. There was always more blood to be shed. There was always another lamb to be slain. There was always another sin to be forgiven. That's why there was no chair. Then you go over to a verse in the book of Hebrews and listen to what we read here. But when this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, boy, this is awesome. He sat down at the right hand of God the first and only priest who ever got to sit down. Why? Because it is finished. Now, I don't know about you, but I love sports. And one of the things I really love every four years, I love to watch the Olympic Games. I'm, I'm an Olympic game junkie. I love the Olympic Games. 
So the other day I was reading about the Olympic Games and I was amazed. I, started, I found out something I didn't, I'd never heard of before. I was amazed to learn that the most incredible uh, uh, athletic victory in the Olympic Games of all time took place in 564 B.C. This is a fascinating story. Spectators saw it. There was a man by the name of Orichion, and he was competing for his third consecutive championship in Pancraton. I'd never heard of Pancraton. Pancraton was his event. It kind of combined boxing and wrestling, okay? Kind of like WWE and all that stuff today, right? It's kind, of, kind, of, kind of the same thing, you know, boxing and wrestling and all of that. Well, during this match, he was trying to win his third consecutive championship. He was a legend. Well, during this match, his opponent got him in this suffocating stranglehold and cut off his air, and he couldn't breathe. And just before he lost consciousness in a desperate attempt to, to escape the stranglehold, he dislocated his opponent's ankle. Well, when he did that in great pain, his opponent released him from the death hold, and he raised his hand conceding his defeat. He gave the match, so Orichion wins the match. But just as he raised his hand to concede defeat, Orichion dies. The judges got together and realized he was the winner because the opponent had conceded. And Orichion goes down in Olympic history as the only Olympic champion that won by dying. 2,000 years ago, sin nailed Jesus to the cross. 2,000 years ago, death had Jesus in a stranglehold. But Jesus took the sting out of death. And Jesus sapped the power out of sin. And Jesus finished them once and for all with two words, mission accomplished. And may all of us die the same way.